Welcome to Woma's podcast. This is the podcast for anyone who wants to stay current on topics of interest in occupational and environmental medicine. Woma is a Western Occupational and Environmental Medicine Association and a component of ACOM. We have designed these Woma podcasts to be a tool and a benefit for Woma members, as well as anyone interested in learning more about worker and environmental health. The Wilma Education Committee members involved in planning the session and today's speaker have no relevant financial relationships to disclose. I am Dr. Alia Khan, and this episode is part one of a two-part series that features esteemed Dr. Donna Baytop in honor of Black History Month. She was interviewed by Dr. Rupali Das, President-elect of Wilma and co-chair of the JEDI Committee, which stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Enjoy, and don't miss out on the second part on our podcast channel. Welcome, Dr. Baytop. It, it is such an honor and a pleasure to interview you. Thank you so much for being available. We wanted to highlight your professional journey and accomplishments in honor of Black History Month, specifically, but also as a revered member of WOMA. So welcome again. Thank you for being here. Thank you, and I consider it a, a definitely an honor and a pleasure. I always enjoy uh, talking with, with that, my peers at, and colleagues at WOMA. So um, thank you. For, for people who don't know you, would you please start off by describing your current professional titles and where you received your education? Okay, very good. I am a recently retired regional medical director for Caterpillar, Inc., and Worldwide Medical Director for Solar Turbines for the past uh, nearly 35 years. After retirement, I am a medical consultant in employee health in OCMED, and I am a um, member of the Residency Advisory Peer Review Committee at the General Preventive Medicine Residency at UCSD. Uh, I'm also currently serving on the National Board of the University of Florida Foundation, which is my alma mater, and I am on the board of directors for Ebony Pearls Foundation. It serves the San Diego community, and, and I'm a golden member of uh, my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I have um, a bachelor's in pharmacy, which is a five-year curriculum at uh, Florida A&M University College of Pharmacy. It is now the uh, College of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences and Institute of Public Health. I, during my undergraduate, I attended Harvard University at uh, Harvard Yale Columbia Intensive Summer Studies Program. I received my MD degree from the University of Florida College of Medicine and completed my residency in family medicine at the University of Connecticut in the greater Hartford area uh, with emphasis on urban family medicine, preventive health programming, community health programs, and doing primary, secondary health education and community-wide screening to underserved population in the Hartford region and uh, participated in many organizations during my stay in Hartford. Thank you. That is quite a list of accomplishments. And I wanted to also congratulate you on an honor that you didn't mention on being named to the University of Florida 
uh, College of Medicine Hall of Fame in 2020. That is quite an honor. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was actually 2014. Oh, uh, sorry. 2014. Okay. That's right. But uh, that indeed was an honor. Uh, one of the things that I also did while I was at the University of Florida as a student, a medical student, is I drafted a program that the dean essentially placed a grant on that program. We were able to fund it. And the program was uh, a summer program, actually similar to the program that I was, I attended at Harvard University. And uh, the program was designed for minority medical students to try to outline what challenges they had as they were entering medical school and address those challenges during this uh, summer studies program so that they would be fully prepared, hitting the ground running in the fall when they entered medical school. Uh, they were accepted to the University of Florida and that program lasts for 16 years after I left as a, um, a medical student. So I was very proud of being able to help groom other uh, minority physicians for um, practice, you know, a career in medicine. That is fantastic and so relevant to a lot of the work that the society is paying attention to today and, and WOMA as well. Exactly. Okay, let's hone in a little bit on the field of occupational medicine. You know, occupational medicine is not really a well-known area of medical practice. A lot of physicians don't even know about it. What drew you to this field and why did you stay in occupational medicine? In other words, what is your why? Why are you here today? Okay, I, I mean, that's a, that's a uh, fair question. I was, um, in my residency, I was interested in um, the urban setting or health issues in the large cities and the urban environment. A lot of preventable illnesses that could be addressed. And um, in, in trying to work through what I wanted to do with my career, we were trained as partners in family medicine to always um, learn to adjust to multi-specialty environments. So um, my career was being shaped in the city urban environment. The uh, challenge that I had in that, in that sense is that when I completed my residency, I took a different turn. I saw an opportunity and was offered an opportunity in employee health services as an assistant medical director at an insurance company, Connecticut General. You know, one would think you go into an insurance company and you're in an administrative environment, but instead they had a clinic inside the company, occupational health services inside the company. There were 7,500 employees in the entire area and about 5,000 of them were on 500 acres. When I came to this environment, there were 72 beds, the GYN clinic, an eye clinic, physical therapy, clinical laboratories, radiology, uh, dental um, operatories, employee health services, and they offered health maintenance exams, routine preventive medical exams. And I walked into this environment and said, wow, I didn't know a company could run their own 
medical environment inside the company. So it was specifically for the employees. So I had this captive audience. And what do you need for a preventive medicine environment is people who uh, at work want to participate and can participate. So I started developing programs and I wrote a job description for a nurse practitioner to expand and offer more preventive medical exams. And that company, Connecticut General, merged with Insurance of North America to form Cigna. Today, and I became assistant medical director and second vice president of Cigna in the first 18 months at Connecticut General. After 18 months, the person in front of me, the medical director, retired, and I became the acting medical director for almost two and a half years. And it was like a kid at a candy shop. Everything that you wanted to do and you learned to do in preventive medicine was suddenly and totally available. All the resources in one location. I was able to expand to do worldwide preventive medical programs, um, you know, as such. I'm sorry, we were in the U.S., so it was throughout the U.S. we were doing medical programs, offering these exams, and then I was recruited by um, solar turbines to come to San Diego. And I said, wow, they have four or 5,000 employees. I just came to an environment with almost 7,500 in one location. I built clinics in that environment, expanded resources out into the community. And suddenly they asked me specifically to design an occupational medicine program in-house. So as, as I tried to do that, Solar has a lot of employees worldwide. I spent the next 35 years in the most fun environment of delivering occupational medical services, um, you know, engaging and sourcing other colleagues in different countries to get to have preventive programs for our employees. And I also learned how to practice occupational medicine and how it functions in a socialized medical environment in many other countries, because our structures are different. Um, and basically, I ended up um, doing everything that I wanted to do in preventive medicine. And you asked why, you know, in other words, why did I stay in the field? When I came to Solar as well, as a corporate medical director, I was supported by senior management and leadership teams at the highest level throughout my career. I was encouraged to be innovative, expand ideas, new concepts in delivering occupational medicine, um, to make sure that people are, people are first when it comes to safety. That was, that was a real uh, goal and a successful goal. My personal growth and development was uh, uh, supported and valued and encouraged. I had I could affect positive change. Uh, my values were also consistent with the corporate values: integrity first, honesty, respect for differences, valuing diversity. Um, limitations were not imposed on me because of some because of biases that I knew about. Um, I admired and respected people um, in, the, in the business environment. 
leadership and the talent, basically with their professional guidance, with my professional guidance and the advice that I was giving in the business environment, it just simply made me love my job and my career. That sounds like an amazing journey with uh, amazing opportunities. And um, I, I must say that it, it I sounds to like- give one example, one example yeah. of um, my introduction when I came to solar turbines. Um, a supervisor came in about a week after I was there to welcome me to be a part of the team. And he said to me, in other words, this is how he thought he was supporting me. He said to me, I want you to know that I have instructed all of my employees to make sure that when they come to the medical department, their underwear is clean. And <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was the most genuine and he was sincere, but it was just a, a genuine welcome from the employees. I mean, maybe that should be another sidebar, but it was just <laughs> a fun thing that he wanted to make sure that I was fully welcomed as a physician in that environment. Yeah, I respected that they respected you enough to dress well for you. Exactly. Well, that that is really an amazing journey that... Uh, well, I don't even know if it would be possible today, but um, it sounds like you also recognize these opportunities yes. and were open to them. Exactly. They were um, challenges that a professional would love to have. You know, you get that interesting case or um, you get an opportunity to help someone that you didn't realize and the resources are made available. Um, that allow you to be helpful. And occupational medicine makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you, well, you, you, you spent, um, how many years did you spend at solar turbines? Almost 35 years. Oh, 35 years, yes, you said that. Eight, eight months. Right. That is an amazingly long time and few people spend that long in, in any position these days, That's looking true. back at your career achievements, and I'm sure there are several significant achievements, what would you say was the most significant or impactful? I think that um, all the efforts that I put into uh, wellness programming and actually changing the culture of the environment to a culture of wellness. That was extremely important. And employees embraced it and management embraced it for many, many years. But bringing that culture of wellness before there were issues regarding, you know, developing wellness programs. I think we started mammography screening uh, within the first three years. Um, I had sourced a, the necessary support to do mammography screening in our environment. And um, we picked up cases and we saved lives and people appreciated that. Uh, we picked up cases on exams and made a difference. So I would say it was 
uh, leaving the environment with a, um, with a healthy culture wellness. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of um, uh, where you, uh, someone you remember, a patient, a worker, uh, that you remember um, where you made, something you did made a difference that really kind of left a stamp on you? I had a case, um, an individual, there actually were two, and one was the family of a person, and the other was the person. Though I didn't realize at the time, we had an acute medical emergency. And in that medical emergency, the um, uh, we went through a resuscitation effort. It was a successful effort to sustain life. We did everything the emergency room could could have done in the acute sense. And we were able to successfully uh, get the employee into the environment, um, into the medical treatment, into the intensive care unit. It was only several years later that um, I happened to see him at a um, company picnic where he came as a retired member of the organization and, a, you know, as a, a member of, uh, as a family member of one of the employees as well. And he walked up to me and he said, I want you to know you saved my life. You gave me the most precious thing. I felt totally supported when you were there, knowing you were there, you saved my life. And I told everybody that made a difference. That was rewarding for me. I didn't think nor that I asked to have a thank you, but I knew that this person would do well in life simply because he had a chance. That's, that sounds like a heartwarming and affirming uh, story of illustrating kind of what, where you started off this culture of wellness translating into saving an individual's life. And I, I, I had the other that I wanted to really tell you about. It was a, an, an employee in our international office in Luanda, Luanda Angola. Mm-hmm. And she, great manager, very talented manager, was in her sixth month. And in that country of Angola, Angola is the second poorest country outside of Haiti in the world at that time, and she was in preterm labor. And her OBGYN called me long distance, whether I don't know how they got to me, but he called me and he said, I've done everything I could, but this baby is not gonna survive. We have no incubators in this country. And my thought was no incubators for a preemie? My gosh, that's understood in our clinical training. I was successful at arranging an air ambulance to airlift her to South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. President of the company supported it, vice president supported it, and we literally were able to get her into a higher level of care. They sustained her for six weeks and a beautiful baby girl was born. Four years later, I happened to see her in an airport in Dubai. And the mother ran up to me and said, showed me a picture of her four-year-old daughter. 
And she said, you did this. It was totally the reward beyond comprehension. That's why we go into Melissa for that chance to make that final difference. So those were the two cases that I could think of immediately. That kind of sent chills down my spine. What an amazing experience and legacy to leave behind uh, a saved life and a, a new life. That's amazing. Thank you. And, and you kind of answered my question. I was going to ask about, since you worked internationally, this is not a, a scripted question, but um, you know, your sense of uh, where you think you made the greatest impact in the U.S. or elsewhere. Do you have an opinion on that? Of where? Yeah, which had, like, were you able, do you think through your work, you worked in many different countries and different systems, including countries with the socialized healthcare. Uh, do you think you made, uh, were you able to make a bigger difference in the United States or in other countries through your efforts at Caterpillar and Solar Turbines? I think that um, we had excellent programs in the US for our employees and for um, communities that they came from. Uh, we, were, we were very, very good at being uh, community outreaching as well at solar turbines as well as Caterpillar. Outside of the US, I was able to develop relationships with colleagues who would usually say, if I only had this, I could do more. Meaning they would identify something. If we could help them have something unique, they could do more with occupational medicine. And I believe that, um, you know, that's how we made a difference. I, I met so many great medical professionals in other countries who just yearn to have an opportunity to, to, to make a, an impact in their communities. So I think that collegiality that we establish in, in the support that we had for our employees and wanted for our employees in other countries, they were able to do more because we together reached out. So I would say my impact is more through my colleagues in other countries mm -hmm. helped us. Yeah, that's still quite an impact though. Um, uh, it, it sounds like both you were able to impact healthcare and healthcare delivery uh, perhaps differently in uh, here in the US and elsewhere, but both really impactful. You've had many experiences. What is a challenge that you had to face in your career that perhaps you don't, most people don't know about? I found that that was an interesting question. And um, I, I thought about it in the context of um, what would my colleague not, if not have to, a challenge they would not have to face that I would have to face. And it was usually, or it became more around, um, um, you have to think that you, there's always a challenge 
of being conscious that you will be defined by other people's perception. They used to call it the perception of reality, quote, unquote. I heard that in the corporate environment, the perception of reality. And that reality is that I'm an African-American woman and a physician. And there are ways that African-American women are perceived and expected to have to deal with stereotypes that they encounter. Um, I never define myself in these ways. So uh, regardless of the body that I came in, I've always been my own person. And when confronted with what I had, uh, when I was confronted or I had to deal with that reality of someone else's perception, I usually approached it with logic and reason. I'm very proud of who I am as an African-American woman. I'm proud of where I came from. Um, But I don't see myself in the eyes of how others perceive me, nor do I see it as a limitation, but I'm quite aware. And that's something others don't have to think about who are not diverse as such. You don't have to act in a way that you are perceived. So I always did the opposite. I, I, maybe I should frame it in, as an example um, because I found some of the encounters to be teaching moments. Let me give you an example. You went through your residency at your uh, medical school and you went to interview for your residency, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. We went out to different schools to look at residency programs. And I was at this particular residency program. I won't name the school. It was in, you know, the South. And the chief resident was interviewing me after he showed me around and he said, um, I have a question for you. And he said, what would you do if a white patient did not want to be seen by you as a black doctor? How would you respond? Uh, I thought about it for just a quick moment and I immediately responded to say, that's an interesting question and you're chief resident. And because you're chief resident, you're responsible for all residents. What would you do as the chief resident if I as a black physician a white patient did not want to be seen by me. And the first thing he said was, oh, I would tell them you're, you know, we only accept the best, you're highly qualified, you're a great physician, you've got a lot of talent, I mean, accolades beyond. I was impressed with his accolades. And then I asked, what if they continued, what would you do? And he finally said, well, I'd have to get them another white doctor and then I would give you the next patient. And I said, thank you for that response. Now, I could have said a lot of things. My apologies. 
I could have said a lot of things, but my I carry to the next person, the faculty interviewer. And at the end, they asked, did I have any questions? And I said, yes, I have a question. What would you do if a white patient did not want to see me as, as a, a black physician? And they repeated the identical response that the chief resident repeated down to the second and the third faculty member, identical response that I was well-trained and well-educated, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, validated my career. And then as I got to the dean of the residency program and he asked, and I responded to say, what would you do if I was denied because I'm a black physician. His immediate response, without even a fleek of a thought of a second, a nanosecond, he said, I tell him to go someplace else. That's not acceptable. You know, we you know, we don't pick and choose doctors because of their color. Uh, no, that's unacceptable. And then he paused and said, Why did you ask me that question? And I said, because that's the question that I was asked during my interview, and he went in total silence, and he said, I am sorry, I apologize. That was not, that's not who we are. I will deal with that. Please look at our residency program, et cetera. Um, we want you here. Now, that, it was a challenge for me to keep my composure. But it didn't make sense to me to ask me the question. I'm the victim in that case, but I don't want to be a victim. So I ask you the question and let you solve the problem you perceived. Someone perceived me as different. And in that perception, they gave to me what actually was their perception. I know who I am and I know what I'm about. I never considered being confronted with a stereotype, but since I had one, I thought I would get a little information out of the process. I did not go to that residency. I went on to another residency, uh -huh. but I just wanted you to, to, to use that as an example of um, a white physician stands up in the morning, doesn't think about getting a question regarding whether or not they will be resisted because of the color of their skin, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, why, why do I have to deal with this? Well, you know, my mom used to say, tough things are given to tough people, <laughs> she used to say, because they know you can solve it. I mean, it was just a little saying my mom would always encourage us, you know. It's hard because you solve hard problems, but the, I, and, and I, I don't mean to, I, I have to give you one more example and I will, I'll move away from this, but because it is a challenge. In, in undergraduate and pharmacy school, we had multiple types of people, a diverse environment, white students, black students, Latino students, um, and this was pharmacy and some of the classes like pharmacology it doesn't matter, you know, I was in a historically black college, but this was after the civil rights movement, the pendulum was shifting towards social justice and 
you know, you, you think things are moving forward, but you're still connected to the past somehow. And we came into the classroom about 70, 75 students and the professor announced, I have great news in this diverse environment. I will give three examinations. There will be one examination for the black students, one examination for the white students, and one examination for the Latin Cuban students. Because I wanna make sure everybody passes my exam in my class. So I raised my hand and I asked, can I take all three examinations or can I choose the one I prefer to take? And he said, no, you have to take the exam that's designated to your group. And I started laughing. I thought he was teasing. And the students start saying to me, sit down, sit down. We want to hear what, more of what he has to say. And I said, wait a minute. Um, in protests, I think we should all refuse to take all exams. That's that protest spirit in me. We should not submit to this. And the student said, sit down, you pass any exam. We need to listen to this. And I said, no, 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 that's racist. You're not supposed to do that. And the professor said to me, you are disrupting my class. And we debated whether or not I was disrupting or not. And he called the dean. And the dean said, wait a minute, come down to the dean's office. So I get sent to the principal's office, so to speak, the dean's office. He says, what's the problem? And I told him that I have heard of discrimination. I've heard of double discrimination, but I never heard of triple discrimination. And the professor proudly stated his plan to the dean. He was very adamant about what he was gonna do for everybody in the class. The dean looked at me, turned and politely said, you're excused, um, I have something to handle, thank you. And as I walked away, I was fine. Now the students weren't happy with me because we got one examination for all students. <laughs> and no one discussed the three exams or any issues of discrimination for, from that point on. In other words, it was nipped in the bud immediately. Those are the kind of people that I have met in my life uh, that made challenges a little different. People who stood up and said, no, that's not the right thing to do. And they didn't make a big fuss about it. They did what was logical and reasonable with integrity and respect. That's the kind of environment that I have been in, but I have always had to deal with, face that as a challenge in my career, but not let someone perceive and decide how I should be valued. I've had an opportunity to value myself first and make sure that I'm valuing my environment and others with me. I hope that wasn't too long. I'm, well, you know, um, I'm Dr. Baytop. I am so um, grateful and honored that you shared your experiences. I'm sure you had many, and um, these two examples. Um, no, you did not go on too long. They are amazing testament to you and to the experience you went through and your resilience and 
shows sort of what ha- helps you get through these experiences that I'm sure were not just your experiences, but those of many others. We want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would like to invite you to explore more of our episodes. You can find our library of podcasts on the WOMA website, www.woema.org, and we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast channel at your favorite site for podcast listening. You'll be notified as new episodes become available. Topics could include the latest clinical update, emerging treatments in medicine, or topics in public and environmental health. Stay tuned and don't miss out. Until next time, be well.